The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org slash give. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you in more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Chad Middlebrooks. I add my welcome to John's. It's good to be with you this morning and opening God's Word together. Uh, If you're visiting with us, we have been in a series in the book of Luke for some time now. And two weeks ago, we learned of how Jesus healed one who was at the brink of death. And then last week, we saw Jesus' compassion on display as he called a young boy who was dead in in the tomb there or in the uh, coffin there to arise. And he sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave this young boy back to his mother, whom she had thought had lost forever. And now this morning, in our passage that we'll look at this morning, Jesus will minister to one whom he calls the greatest, yet whose hopes and whose expectations and even confidence was on the brink of death as well. So with that in mind, let's pray, and then we will dive into this passage. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would come, tend to your word by the power of your spirit, that we might receive it as truth, and that we might be transformed by it. We ask that you would do this for our good and your glory in Christ's name. 
Amen. Well, early on in the pandemic, our family put together many puzzles, and one of those puzzles was a rather difficult one, over a thousand or so pieces, and as we began putting this puzzle together on our uh, dining room table, at some point, there at various times, someone in the family would say, there's something wrong with this puzzle. We're missing a piece because there is no way any of these pieces that are left, I've tried every one of them, they don't fit. And so as we were trying to put all the pieces of the puzzle to match this beautiful picture on this box, we struggled to see how it was all going to come together. And as we begin this morning, I want to ask us, do we ever feel this way about our own lives? Do we ever feel like it doesn't just make sense? There are pieces missing in the puzzle. We're not experiencing, we're not enjoying the picture that we thought our lives would look like. And do you ever feel like God has gotten something wrong in the details, in the pieces of your life? And does that lead you to doubt and discouragement over whether God actually knows what he's doing in your life? Well, if so, you're not alone. Because John the Baptist here himself is wrestling with questions. While he's in prison, after confronting King Herod, for this inappropriate relationship that he had with Herodias, his brother's wife or ex-wife at this time. But Jesus speaks to John in this passage and he comes this morning to speak to us as well, to give us hope, to give us assurance in our doubts, in our questions, in our discouragement. You see in your bulletin there, the three points by way in which we'll study this passage. First, we'll learn that even those closest to Jesus experience sincere doubt and questions. Secondly, we'll see Jesus answers, gives answers uh, and anchors them in his work and in his word. And then lastly, the Savior unmasks cynical denial and spiritual childishness. So while in prison, John had heard through visitors that would come to him about what Jesus was doing in his public ministry. And so John had time to think about and ponder what he was hearing about Jesus. And this led him to one critical question that he had regarding the person of Jesus. And so he decided to send his disciples to go meet Jesus where he was and to ask him this critical question. And it was this, are you the one that is to come or shall we look for another? Now let's not forget who John was and what he had witnessed to this point. John was Jesus' cousin John was the one who came proclaiming Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he said, I'm unworthy to even untie his sandals. John had baptized Jesus. And John knew his role. He was a forerunner. He was an announcer, a messenger to come and proclaim about the one that was about to come, the Messiah. John had been obedient to all that God had called him to do, and yet He found himself in prison, stuck here as he heard the stories of Jesus healing the sick and raising the dead. And so John wondered, is this Jesus really the Messiah who takes away the sins of the world? Is he really the one that is coming to restore Israel from our oppressors and our enemies? If Jesus is who he says he is, why am I stuck in a dingy prison cell? 
And remember John's ministry. He proclaimed a twofold ministry uh, proclamation as he came speaking about the one that was to come. He said he called them to repentance and to be baptized. But he also brought a warning of judgment to those who did not receive the coming Messiah. If you remember back in Luke chapter 3, he says, I baptize you with water, but he who comes after will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat in his barn, but the chaff will burn with unquenchable fire. See, John's question to Jesus essentially boiled down to this. Jesus, why have you not done all that the Messiah was supposed to do? Namely, to bring judgment by force on our enemies and release us from captivity of Rome. Where's this great deliverer that we were all expecting? Why am I still locked up? I need to know, Jesus, if you really are the one because I've staked my life on you. That's his question. And John, along with the rest of God's people, had great hopes for this long-awaited Messiah that was to come. John had been serving Jesus since his birth. But John's expectancy of the Messiah's coming at some point turned into expectation. And expectation sets limits and demands. And so expectation also insists that things come and look in a certain way. And expectations often are unmet and they're unrealistic, leading us to doubt and to confusion. While expectancy leads us to hope and joy-filled anticipation of what is to come. Two words very similar, but have very different meanings, especially even in our context today. See, John's expectation for the Messiah didn't match his current situation, nor the reports that he was hearing about Jesus. And so his expectations that began to be unmet bred doubt and confusion for him. Have you ever been through a really difficult situation? Maybe God was calling you to die to yourself in a certain way that didn't seem to match what you know about the love of God. Or maybe have you ever waited so long for God to deliver something that you thought that you needed that you began to doubt what you first believed about him and his goodness. See, we, like John, are called to stake our lives on who Jesus says that he is. But in these times of doubt and confusion, it can leave us very frustrated and very disoriented, can it? See, inevitably, life on this earth will often beg this question, God, how could you let that happen? God, how could you let this happen in my life? And this question is not whether we're going to have doubts and questions, but where do we go with the doubts and the questions that we have? See, our response to Jesus, including how we deal with our doubt, will either lead us down a path of strengthening our faith in Christ, leading to greater perseverance in the Christian faith, or it will lead us down a path of critical denial and cynical rejection of who Christ is. Those are the only two options. And even though we may not have sent messengers like John to ask Jesus this question, there are many of us here this morning that are asking this very question in our hearts. God, I need to know if you really are who you say you are. I need to know so that I can accept all that you've allowed in my past 
and all that I'm dealing with in my present this morning. Well, notice, notice how Jesus addresses the crowd regarding John. If you look there in verses 24 through 28, Jesus defends John the Baptist to this crowd that is there. And so after hearing John's question and then Jesus' answer to John's question, which we'll look at in just a moment, Jesus now confronts the crowd on their ill thoughts that they had about John after hearing his question to Jesus. And so with a tone of sarcasm somewhat, Jesus says, why did you go out into the wilderness to begin with? What were you hoping to see when you went out there? Were you hoping to see somebody who was kind of wishy-washy like a reed blowing in the wind? Were you hoping to see somebody in fine clothes? You could go see that in the king's palace. You were going to see a prophet, weren't you? But not just a prophet, something more than that. You wanted to hear the word of God from this prophet. And Jesus says, you were expecting a prophet, but John is far more than a prophet. And Jesus reveals that John not only spoke about the word, but he was the one about whom the word spoke. And then he quotes from Malachi 3 and says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. And then look there in verse 28. Jesus drops this bombshell on the crowd. He says, I tell you, of all those who are born of women, not, none of those are greater than John. The Son of God honors John the Baptist as the goat, the greatest of all time. Greater than everybody that had come before him, greater than Abraham, greater than David, than Moses, than Isaiah, all because God sent him to be the messenger before the final messenger, the Messiah. How is that for an endorsement? But then Jesus goes further and he says this, he says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. See, John did not get to experience the kingdom of God that Jesus was bringing into reality. John was part of the old covenant, as it were, and would soon be beheaded for his faith. But all those who come after John, who've placed their faith in Christ, Jesus says, you have even more understanding, more knowledge of the reality of this kingdom that the Messiah is bringing. As members of the new covenant, we know firsthand things that John could have only imagined to experience and know. And when Jesus died on the cross in that temple, when the veil was torn in two, a new day had dawned. And where the Holy Spirit was only given in particular times and places before now, the Holy Spirit was poured out into the people of God. And so wherever the people of God went, the Holy Spirit went with them. We've experienced forgiveness of sin through repentance. We know that Jesus right now, this morning, is reigning at the right hand of the Father. And so this reality should bring a humbleness to our lives with deep gratitude that we have greater understanding than the one whom Jesus says is the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. But this greatest had sincere doubts and questions. So next we see how Jesus in verses 21 through 23 anchors his answer to John in his work and in his word. So in God's providence, 
Jesus is healing the sick at this time and he brings John's disciples to see Jesus and they witness him opening the eyes of the blind and healing the sick. And Jesus answers John's question by demonstrating his power, showing signs of the messianic kingdom that had now come and been inaugurated. And Jesus was making John's disciples eyewitnesses to say, look, you see with your own eyes my power and what I've done. I want you to go back and tell John so that he can know that yes, he was preparing the way for me, the Messiah. But not only that, does he show his messengers the power that he has and possesses, but he also uses God's word to assure John of his identity as the true Messiah. And so Jesus quotes from various places in Isaiah, Isaiah 35, Isaiah 61. And Jesus knew that John was a student of the scriptures and he would know these references that Jesus was going to send back with his messengers to remind him of the coming nature of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus quoted from Isaiah 35 and he spoke of the blessings of healing and wholeness that would come in the last days, saying, John, that's what I'm doing right now. And then he quotes from Isaiah 61, verse one, and he spoke of his ministry as the anointed one who God had appointed to bring uh, good news to the poor and to bind up the brokenhearted. And John would have readily known these references, but more importantly, John would have known the context around these references. But conspicuously absent from Jesus' answer is what the end of verse 1 of Isaiah 61 says. It says this, He has anointed me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. He omits that verse, knowing that John would have known exactly what came after what Jesus quoted. But this was what John couldn't wrap his mind around because the Messiah was coming to release the captives and he's still in prison. Jesus intentionally did that so that John could help to understand better what was going on in his current circumstances. Jesus was letting John know that the blessings of the kingdom had begun, but yet the judgment that John had spoken about in his ministry, it was not yet time to bring complete fulfillment of all that Jesus would do. Jesus answers John through his work and his word, and he says, John, it's me. I am the Messiah, but I'm not completing everything you thought that I would in my first coming. And as you and I know, this side of redemptive history, in order to set the captives free, Jesus had to go and die an agonizing death upon the cross so that we could be free from the power and penalty of sin. But that time had not yet come when Jesus was sending this answer back to John. And Jesus ends his answer to John in verse 23 by again quoting from Isaiah. He says, And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So here John is, the greatest born of woman, and yet he doesn't get what he desires and what he wants. And Jesus tells John, and he's telling us this morning, don't be offended by me. Trust my timing and the means by which I carry out my plans. See, this story reveals that we can be very close to God, but not rightly understand his word. But it also reveals that Jesus didn't kick John to the curb for having doubts and questions. 
So that means he welcomes us with our doubts and questions to come to him. He's not shocked by them. He wants us to take them to him. As we look at the complexities and the brokenness of our own lives, we must invite the Holy Spirit in to speak into these doubts with gospel clarity and godly understanding so that we might persevere and remain steadfast in the midst of this broken and fallen world. It's okay to have doubts. Doubts are not necessarily a bad thing. Where do we go with those doubts? Where did John go with his doubts and his questions? He went straight to Jesus, the source. And Jesus responded with grace. Is this where we run when we're confused about what God is up to in our lives? Or do we look elsewhere? Now, it's easy for us to, to be tempted to turn to those who will simply validate our self-pity and our anger towards God for what he's allowing in our lives. All it is is a click away or a phone call away. Jesus is showing John that though he's not what John expected, he is far greater and far better than anything John could have imagined. See, John just wanted Jesus to bring down judgment upon Rome and their oppressors. But Jesus says, I'm bringing a message of grace and I'm bringing power that has far more to do with just eliminating Rome. I'm gonna defeat Satan himself and the power of sin and death and bring renewal to all things. What if we believe that Jesus is actually still doing this today? That he's opening the eyes of the blind. That he is raising the dead to life again. See, every one of us in this room that has named Jesus as our Savior by faith, we are evidence that he is still doing that work today. What if we believe this for our own children, for our neighbors, for our classmates? Jesus desires to lift our eyes, our thoughts, and our efforts off of our small little kingdoms that we are so focused on so that we could lift them upon the infinitely greater kingdom of the glory of God. And like John and the Apostle Paul, only if our faith is grounded in the work of Christ and the promises of His Word can we stand in the midst of suffering and trials that we'll face. See, our contentment and our joy must come from outside of our circumstances as we commune with the one who is sovereign over each one of them. And as we rest in Christ, we'll be able to see that all of our sufferings, the slight momentary afflictions, Paul says, that we experience, they're actually just a down payment on our future glory that we will experience face to face with Christ. See, John had a solid foundation that he had built his life upon, upon God's truth. And so when he did have doubt, he could be reassured by God's work and his word through Jesus. He allowed God's truth to speak to his doubt, to reassure him even when he didn't understand what was going on. How about for us? Do we look to him or to human wisdom or human expectation? Are we building our faith upon the truth of Scripture? and the evidence of his work? Are we going back to that word to reassure us? Are we too arrogant to think in our finite minds that we can actually grasp the infinite mind of God and his good plans? 
Finally, in verses 29 through 35, we see how the Savior unmasks cynical denial and spiritual childishness. So we see in these verses there are two different responses with the crowd here. The outcasts, the sinners, the tax collectors, they recognize Jesus' endorsement of John the Baptist in his ministry. So they say in verse 29, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But then you had others in the crowd, the religious Pharisees, the lawyers, the elite of the day. And they missed the kingdom of God as they cynically denied and rejected who Jesus was and John's message. Children, I know I'm not supposed to speak of Bruno, but if you've seen the movie Encanto, similarly to the character Bruno in that movie who came and who was speaking truth and warning his loved ones, yet they couldn't see it in the moment. Similarly, Jesus and John were ignored. They were silenced for coming to speak truth to those who couldn't see it nor could receive it, no matter how God sent it. And Jesus likens these religious elite to little children who are not willing to participate in whatever the occasion is, whether it's a wedding or whether it's a funeral. And Jesus says to these religious elite, he said, you know what, you're kind of like the kid that goes with his parents to the toy store and they're not satisfied with anything the parent offers. Here, here's a, here's a fidget, here's a poppet. I don't, I don't want that. Here's a Marvel Lego set. I, that's boring, I don't want that. And Jesus says, God sent you the prophet to play a song on the flute so that you could dance, but you didn't want anything of it. And then he sent you a prophet in camel's hair, warning you of the judgment if you didn't receive this truth of the coming Messiah. And you just yawned, didn't want any part of it. And then God sent himself. I'm here with you in the present, and yet you still want nothing to do with me. You're ignoring my truth. See, when the Spirit is not alive in someone's heart. They can't see or receive any kind of truth, even if it's standing right there in front of them. As John Owen once said, he who has slight thoughts of sin has never had great thoughts of God. And Jesus ends with these words. He says, wisdom is justified by all her children. In other words, wisdom is revealed in the fruit of the followers of Christ. Paul says this in 2 Timothy 2. He says, if we endure we will also reign with Christ. But if we deny him, he will also deny us. Brothers and sisters, it's okay that all the pieces of our storied puzzle don't seem to fit just right. So your story and my story is part of a much bigger story of God's glorious redemption. And just because we may not be receiving what we think we need, we often think that God's upset with me for something. But maybe he's actually giving us exactly what we need, showing his love and his mercy and grace to us in these moments. And so when those moments of doubt and questioning do come, and we wonder, is all this suffering really worth it? Jesus, are you really one that I can trust? All we have to do is look to the answer of the cross, of the one who thought it well worth a journey to come to this sin-filled earth, to take on flesh, to die the death that we needed to die so that we could be reconciled back to Him. And all with the end goal so that we could be with Him and see Him face to face one day. We're about to come to this table 
yet more evidence of his work and the promises of his word. And so let us enter into the grace of God with expectancy of what has been promised to us as believers in Christ, that we might persevere as we wait and even dance to the music of the divine musician as we wait his glorious return. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if we are honest and admit the reality of what goes on in our hearts, we have much doubt and much confusion at times. We look at the things that are going on in our world and in our own lives and we wonder, are you really up to good? Can I trust you? Father, would you so gently and graciously remind us of all that you have done for us that we are unworthy to receive and yes, you've done it joyfully and gladly. Would you anchor our faith upon your work and your word until all the promises come to bear when you return and make all things new yet again. Lord, we ask that you would do this for our good and your glory. In Christ's name, amen.